This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten. Today I'm joined by Professor Michael McCann. He's the director of the Sports and Entertainment Law Institute. Find out more about that at law.unh.edu. And he's also a uh, journalist over at Sportico. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Hey, AJ. Thanks for having me back. So let, I'm going to mix it up from what we had just planned on. Let's start off with the one that uh, is is really important to the sports law industry right now. And name, image, and likeness is a recurring theme. We always end up having to come back to it because there's been so many legislative and uh, business operations changes over the last like two or three years for sure. Uh, it looks like Florida is uh, drawing some attention again. Yeah, so there's a new lawsuit in Florida that has two basic parts to it, and both involve NIL. One part is a high school player saying, why can't I enjoy NIL too? Under Florida athletic rules, high school athletes can't profit from their name, image, and likeness. Now, that's not true in every state. In a handful of states, they can, but in Florida, they can't. So the first part of the lawsuit is to say that should be declared unconstitutional, Florida has a freedom to contract that this regulatory position by the State Athletic Association ought to be considered illegal. The other part of the lawsuit is against is, is against sort of the college sports industry and specifically the NCAA. And that part of the lawsuit says under Florida law, college athletes can only sign NIL deals that don't last beyond their time as college athletes. So in other words, if you were a freshman, you couldn't sign a deal, a five-year deal, presumably, because that would go past your time in college. And the argument is that that's also interfering with contracts, that it's potentially in violation of antitrust law. So th- there are that, really two tracks to it. Yeah, That second one, especially with regards to the time limit, I mean... C- Speaking cynically, maybe of the of some of the uh, industries that are out there, where you see you saw it a lot back in the day when it comes to movie theaters, movie studios, and as well as for musicians, a lot is they would be these people would be young and straight out of straight into the professional realm and would end up getting nailed with these tremendously long contracts. I mean, is there a matter of of uh, uh, protection for the student in that, or is it entirely just trying to? play along with this current uh, situation? I think that is a concern. And I think a lot of college athletes may not hire a lawyer. They may not have access to a lawyer. Right. So uh, I know there's talk of law schools, maybe trying to provide clinics for college athletes to do business work, which is an interesting idea. A lot of the deals are not for a lot of money. So in some cases, for the athletes, it's really their only time to make money as well in college, which, of course, is another reason why to let them make money, right? So that mm. they can actually make it before they lose that marketability. But, but yeah, that is a concern, though I would say we allow entertainers and, as you referenced, the entertainment industry, actors who are children to sign deals. Yeah. Uh, so if they can do it, why can't a 20-year-old, right? And, and also, uh, look, if the 20-year-old didn't go to college and, and worked in some sort of profession, he or she could earn income doing that. So we're okay with it there. And the argument is to say we should be okay with it generally, uh, rather than sort of cherry picking who can enjoy rights and who can't. Is the high school aspect of this like really new? I don't recall hearing much about high school athletes and it's 
a different thing, A, because they're minors, and B, because they're in the K-12 through education system instead of uh, colleges, which are a totally different realm with the NCAA and such. Yeah, so this is new in the sense that when NIL has been talked about, the focus has been college athletes. It's probably been 99% of it. Now that college athletes can enjoy NIL, the next phase is younger athletes. And although I think it's fair to say high school athletes are going to be much less marketable in general than a college athlete, there is an argument to say that with social media platforms that younger folks can turn to generating profit in ways that weren't available even five years ago. So there's a chance that that profitability argument that they should be able to enjoy their fame while they have it, even though I think it's fair to say in most cases, high school athletes would not be particularly marketable. There are exceptions to that. And in this this case, the athlete uh, is a highly regarded baseball player who might, who has been offered a contract for his, for his NIL so why can't he sign it is the argument. Is this a matter of kind of just pushing the bounds of how far the law, laws can go, or is this realistic, do you think? I think it's realistic. We, we've allowed, like we talked about earlier, we've allowed children in other occupations to generate from their NIL, actors and musicians being the classic examples where there's a freedom of contract that they've enjoyed. So if an actor can appear in a movie at age 12, and get paid a lot of money, why can't a 17-year-old baseball player or volleyball player or whoever it may be, why can't they also make money on their fame and, and talent? So I, I think part of it is, try, is saying, let's try to equalize things. Let's try to give everyone a shot because the reality is that people are marketable for certain phases of their life, that very few of these athletes will ever make money as pro athletes, right? So. Mm. Their, their one chance to be marketable might be a limited window of time. If rules say they can't enjoy it, then they're never going to get that money. Is the high school sector going to be a lot more confusing? Because it seems to be, it's a lot more statewide as opposed to nationwide. Like with the colleges, it's everyone, <laughs> the NCAA, for better or worse, ends up being uh, images this this e- evil large corporation or they only care about the corporate interests of the co- of the colleges or any other side. Look, they're here to they're trying to help the students. When it is a balance, ultimately, the the NCAA has a lot of responsibility, but they are the one place we can go to when it comes to college athletes. High school athletes, it's there. There's some of the bigger ones. There's some like um, like the um, what's the baseball league? Um, my kid's not old enough, so I don't have that yet. <laughs> Babe Ruth League. Yeah, Babe Ruth Leagues and such. And and there's World Series competitions and such for those. But high school sports doesn't have that. Yeah, it's a great distinction. With with college sports, their members, including our employer, uh, is a member of the NCAA. So there are membership obligations that come with that. One of that is enforcing amateurism rules. As you noted, at the high school level, it's very different. There is a National Federation of State High School Associations that's a defendant in this lawsuit, but it is not the same as the NCAA. It, def- it really is about game rules and things like that. Hmm. Most of the rules in high school sports are, as you noted, state by state, including in regard to name, image, and likeness. So th- it will o- there will always be variances. And in some states, in California and New York, some of the athletes in high school are able to profit from NIL, whereas in other states they can't. So it is going to be a state by state issue and, and we'll, see how it plays out. 
Yeah, politically, I mean, it it seems like a real confusing thing for anyone to really want to get into because there, once again, it's it's, there's always this balance between the athletics versus the the traditional education aspect of it. But it seems like when when you're talking K through twelve, there's a lot more emphasis put on the education side of it. Um, There are obviously examples you can say where that's not being handled properly. But um, do you think a lot of states will even want to touch this? Well, if they lose athletes, they might, right? Yeah. So, so there have been athletes that have already moved because of this issue. And I, I think most states, this isn't a very active concern, but in some states that have big high school sports, it, it, Texas, Mississippi, really throughout, I lived in Mississippi for three years and I remember how much, and I'm obviously I'm from Massachusetts. I'm, you know, I work at UNH, so I'm really a New Englander where it's really a pro sports community in the South is generalizing a bit, but high school sports are just way more prominent and there's more fame associated to the athlete that isn't apparent in our neck of the woods. So you're right that education is crucial. Uh, And that's a key consideration with these rules is to say, we don't want athletes distracted from fame. We want them focused on school. The counter argument is always, well, if that's true, why were you okay with these actors making money and these musicians making money or these Instagram influencers making money, right? So there's, it goes back to the idea that if if that concern is true, then it should apply to everyone. It shouldn't be winners and losers. Yeah, it really opens up a can of worms. You figure a lot of these art schools, especially where they've, they've got, these up-and-coming um, actors or musicians and such that you know they're going to get a major deal anyways, but while they're a student there, do you really want them focusing on that end of it or do you want them focusing on their craft, just like with the the more liberal arts education that you get at a K-12 through or a higher education institution? So it'll be interesting going forward. There'll be many cases and we'll definitely be talking about this in the future. Absolutely. No, it's a great and it's so important to – to think of, as you mentioned, the education part of it, just sort of the values. and uh, But at the end of the day, you know, people earn money at different points of life and people are marketable. I mean, I, I went to college, uh, but I would not have been marketable out of high school, right? So I didn't really have a choice. If no. somebody is, is exceptionally gifted at it, whether it be sports or art, music, acting, some other uh, some other related field, and that it's a different calculus for them. All right, let's move over to uh, COVID vaccinations and athletics, which has been really going viral and uh, across the internet of late <laughs> with this guy, especially here. Uh, Jakovic, who's deported at the end of the Australian Open, flew to Dubai and such, and you wrote a couple different articles with regards to what's going on with this uh, tennis athlete. What's going on here? Yeah, so Djokovic uh, relied in good faith, from what we can tell, on on an exemption that he had received from the state of Victoria in Australia and also from Australia's State Tennis Association that said even though he's not vaccinated, he could fly to Australia. When he got there, the federal government said, no, you can't enter. You're not vaccinated. You're a threat, potentially. So they terminated his visa. That was first. He challenged that in court and initially won because the government hadn't given him a credible chance to sort of respond to the cancellation. They did it again. And the second time he lost. And the court, and this is sort of any student that studies administrative procedure, it's the same basic set of issues. 
even though the government's arguments, you might argue, weren't that convincing, one of which was, well, he's going to spark anti-vax sentiment in Australia if he stays and plays in the Australian Open. His lawyer said, well, isn't the opposite of that true? If you kick him out, won't people be annoyed and more likely uh, protest? But, but the court said, well, at the end of the day, we give deference to the minister. The minister can decide what's appropriate. It's a very deferential standard of review. So a lot of, even though this was, this was a COVID story, a lot of it was also about standard of review, which is sort of less interesting, but it's more important, arguably, that the administrative agency gets a lot of deference. And that was a big problem for him in arguing that he should be allowed in. So he was kicked out, went back to Dubai, and it's going to be an issue for him this year because other countries have vaccination requirements. And those countries, some of them have tennis tournaments. And from from the sports and entertainment aspect of it, with regards to contracts and such, it, it's not going to bode well for him to to be able to compete or get representation and such if he's fighting all these uh, these international laws. And like he he knew he was going to be going to Australia, who we've known from the beginning of the pandemic is extraordinarily strict. I had a great podcast last week with uh, Professor John Graby, who's the Rubin Center director on civil liberties and such. And we talked about a bit of this balance between how the U.S. handles it versus Australia, but I mean, you're traveling inter- traveling internationally. You're at the mercy of the rules of this country. You are, and that's the visa process. It's uh, generally a lower set of rights than a citizen of the country. You're, you're sort of a guest, right? It's like when we go to other countries, we're guests of that country, and we are at the mercy of that country. And the legal system may not be configured in a way that a visitor can can do much to challenge what the country decides. And, and it's going to be interesting for him. now. He's worth reportedly over $200 million. So this, you know, I mean, this is kind of, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't necessarily need the earnings from playing tennis this year, but he is the number one player. He's the number one ranked player for men's and he has a legacy that I'm sure he cares deeply about. And he doesn't want to, I'm sure he doesn't want to lose the ranking because he's not able to compete in tournaments, which is exactly what will happen. And it will be interesting to see whether he, gets vaccinated. Uh, will that, how will that affect his brand? Is he less marketable if he sort of uh, gives up his opposition to the vaccine? Some would celebrate him saying that was the right thing to do, but others might say, why did you give up the fight? We know that the vaccine fight is, is only getting more fast and furious, right? I mean, look at- He's in so deep at this point, because he, I, I can't, I can't remember what the, what the quotes are, where to find them off the off top of my head, but he was very aggressive with the fact that he's like, yeah, I lied, and uh, because I, I believe this and everything. So we got all this support from these extremists on one side, and the extremists on the other side are like going, why the hell are you here and unvaccinated? I mean, you gotta, you gotta strike a balance here, and he's just so deep now, it's really gonna cause problems. It would be tough reputation, although, you know, there's, there's a health argument which says he should be vaccinated. Right. So setting mm-hmm. aside the impact on his brand, but you, it, it's going to be a conundrum for him. I'm guessing. Does he sit out this year as other countries? And, and also, is this going to be a permanent thing? Will vaccination requirements be uh, the norm for entering another country? It's very possible that's the case, especially once a handful of countries start doing it all of them could start doing it, right? Because it could just be considered customary. And uh, now again, 
his life is fine no matter what, right? Yeah. He's got more money than he'll ever need. This is the confusing thing with having these discussions is, is we're talking about a bunch of millionaires, multimillionaires here. So it's like, I don't really feel bad, but it's we need to figure out what we're doing going forward. And unfortunately, this is the use case we have. Yeah, yeah. Because if he was if he wasn't rich and he had a profession where he had to travel to other countries by his craft, th- this is a real issue. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there are sort of regular people that fall into that cat that, that are not being written about that are going to be faced with that choice of do they get a vaccine that they don't want for whatever reason, or do they give up their profession or do they have to find a new profession? It's, it's going to create a, a number of interesting issues. So just a few minutes left here, but what's going on with Kyrie Irving in New York city with regards to the vaccinations? So Kyrie Irving can't of the Brooklyn nets because he plays for the Brooklyn nets. He's subject to, an executive order issued by former New York mayor, Bill de Blasio, which has not been rescinded by the new mayor, Eric Adams. And the order says in so many words, if you're, if you work for, for a New York city company, which would include Knicks players and Nets players, you can't go to an entertainment venue, which is defined to include the Barclays center where the Nets play and also Madison square garden where the Knicks play. So very basically he can't play home games. And he's losing a lot of money because of that. So some a writer had suggested, well, why not just pay the fine? There's a what appears to be a five thousand dollar fine. Just keep paying the government. It's worth it's worth way less than he's being paid. Uh, the, 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 the more complicated aspect to that is that, first of all, it's five thousand minimum. Uh, it could be more than that. But even even if the money was was ten times that, it still might be worth it financially. The larger issue is that there are other remedies under that order, which could even potentially involve criminal law. So he can't just pay off. I mean, he could try it and see what happens, but it's more complicated than saying just pay a five thousand dollar fine. Yeah. And similar situation down the road. I mean, he's already been traded. He was at the Celtics previously. He doesn't want to mess up uh, his future prospects. Well, the irony is if he was still a Celtic, he could play in every game. Because <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I mean, in a way, like the worst team he could have got traded to, well, they're, they're, the, the Warriors also have their own uh, because of San Francisco's. Yeah, California and New York. Those are the two you don't want to be in right now if you don't want to get the shot. He just stayed in Boston. He would have been. Um, now, obviously, there are other considerations than vaccine requirements. But the irony is that he was on the Celtics. He, and this is a, this, a lot of people have criticized this executive order because it only applies to those on the Knicks and Nets. It also means that other teams who, with players who are unvaccinated, there aren't many, but there are some, they can play in those same games in New York City. So some have said, well, that seems unfair. And also it puts the Nets at a competitive disadvantage. He's a superstar player. Whether people yeah. like him or not, he's really good. So it raises issues of competition, too. Or you think the next steps are going to be on that? I, I think he doesn't appear that he's going to be vaccinated. So because of that, he's going to miss home games. It doesn't, at least the mayor hasn't ind- indicated that he's going to rescind the. He would have done it right away if he was going to. He's in office now. You would think, right? Because he had a bunch of proclamations when he started. Do you think he would have done it? Now, maybe this will be interesting if the pandemic hopefully gets better. If like last year, the spring comes and infection rates go down. Maybe he will do that. And although by that point, the season may be over. So, you know, the, the NBA calendar may not match up well with the pandemic calendar. 
Well, we'll be watching both those calendars. Thanks so much for joining me. Professor Mike McCann, Director of the Sports and Entertainment Lions, to here at UNH Franklin Pierce. Thanks, AJ. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Tell us to word about the show. Please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcast.